0: 1 Samuel chapter 3 this evening, verse number 1, the Bible reads, And the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli. And the word of the Lord was precious in those days. There was no open vision. Uh, The word of the Lord ought to always be precious to us. Um, But I believe this passage is not only meaning that it was precious in those days, but it's simply alluding to the fact that it was very rare also. Um, It was precious in the sense that it was not often that the Lord appeared or revealed himself to men. In fact, in this uh, book, the first appearance or the first open revelation that you can see is actually God pronouncing judgment upon Eli, his, his man. And so God's word is certainly precious at all times, but in this case... I believe it's saying it is precious because of its rarity. And uh, the Bible is saying that uh, there was no open vision. In other words, there was no prophets openly receiving God's desires and wishes for His nation at this time. Um, and most of that is due to the spiritual climate in Israel at this time. And we'll get into that in a little bit. But, but really, Israel is in a bad way spiritually and it is because of that God has shut off His revelation to His people. The Bible goes on to say in verse number 2, And it came to pass at that time when Eli was laid down in his place, and his eyes began to wax dim that he could not see and ere the lamp of God before uh, and ere the lamp of God went out in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was, and Samuel was laid down to sleep. Now verse three is simply trying to give us an, an idea of the time frame in which this happens. Clearly, they're sleeping at night, both Eli and the young man Samuel, at this time not young man, young child Samuel, and they're both sleeping. The illusion or the uh, mention of the lamp of God before it goes out or ere the lamp of God goes out is simply speaking of how the priests, one of the priest's roles was to light the lamp of God every evening at, at, once the sun went down and to extinguish it. ...during the morning and during the day it was to be serviced. In other words, the candles were to be trimmed and it was to be taken care of... ...so that the next evening it would be lit. And this was a statute forever and that was one of the primary roles of the priest. And so what the Bible is saying here is ere the lamp of God went out... ...it's meaning before the lamp of God went out, God appears to Samuel and speaks to him. we all on the same page so far as to what's going on in the passage... The Bible says, And ere the lamp of God went out in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was, and Samuel was laid down to sleep, that the Lord called Samuel, and he answered, Here am I. And he ran unto Eli, and said, Here am I, for thou callest me. And he said, I called not, lie down again. And many of you parents can identify with that as your children bust into the door at nighttime and say, hey mom, let's play, or hey dad, uh, can I get a drink? And all you want to say is, I called not, go back to bed. And uh, I think we can all identify with that. Um, Now we see the Bible says, uh, in verse number five, and he ran unto Eli and he said, here am I, for thou hast called me. And he said, I called not, lie down again. And he went and lay down. Verse number six. And the Lord called yet again, Samuel. And Samuel arose, went to Eli and said, Here am I, for thou didst call me. And he answered, I called not, my son, lie down again. Verse number seven. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. Neither was the word of the Lord yet revealed unto him. I think verse 7 is uh it can be somewhat directly tied back to the fact that there was no open vision, and the Lord was not much speaking at this time. But verse number 8 says, And the Lord called Samuel again the third time, and he sit, uh, and he arose and went to Eli and said, Here am I, for thou didst call me. And Eli perceived that the Lord had called the child. Therefore Eli said unto Samuel, Go. Lie down, and it shall be, if he call thee, that thou shalt say, Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood and called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel answered, Speak, for thy servant heareth. We live in a day and age where we have more avenues of communication than we've ever had before. I mean, we can do all sorts of communicating. I remember back many, many uh, centuries ago, some of the best ways of communication. We were trying to explain to my daughter a telegram the other day and we were trying to explain how that worked, and uh, we were teaching her a little bit about Morse code and explaining these things to us. And, and, and at one point in time, a telegram was a very effective method of communication. Uh, you had other things like smoke signals uh, back at the height of man's uh, uh, cunning and knowledge and wisdom uh, applied to a very uh, basic medium, and And so, I would say from those days, we've come a significant way from that. As yesterday, on the airplane, I was able to watch LSU absolutely pound Alabama on an airplane. We can communicate all sorts of ways these days. I mean, you think about it right now, probably someone at this very moment, in this very room, is receiving a text message as I speak. Certainly, some of us are receiving an email or possibly even a phone call. However, if it was Brother Billy, we'd probably all know at that point because he never turns his phone on silent and uh, he'll probably answer it tonight. That's all right, Brother Billy. When you're important, you answer phone calls. I'm just not important enough to answer them. Uh, Brother Pickett has a habit of doing that in staff meeting the other day. I said, Brother Pickett, you ever heard of the ignore button? He said, no, I never have. I said, I'll show you after staff meeting. All right. But, but we have so many ways to communicate, and yet I would suggest to you that we probably do a worse job of it now than we ever have in world history. We can send text messages, we can make phone calls, we can leave voicemails, we can, uh, uh, we can leave all sorts of ways to communicate, and yet we're just not communicating very well. It was funny today as I was going through my emails, just from the time That church ended this morning, so at 1216, from that time I received five different emails from companies or uh, products that I never signed up for. We call these spam emails. I'll tell you what they are, and these are not not filtered at all. However, I'm glad I didn't have to read down eight or nine or ten, because man, some of them get downright filthy in the spam folder. But uh, I had five this morning, and, uh, or this afternoon. One of them was Injury Survey Associate, and it was warning me about the dangers of working with Roundup. And I think what it was is trying to get me to involved in a class action lawsuit if I've ever used Roundup, and uh, who's got time to go through all that stuff. But that was one of the things. And then Keto Advanced, um, I can burn fat and eat what I want. Uh, that sounds pretty awesome. The problem is I'm already eating what I want, so the burning fat would just be the only addition to that. Um, one of them was Renewal by Anderson. I could help cut my energy bill this season. One of them was Skin Care, Ageless Glow, How to Lift sag- Saggy Skin Without Surgery. And then I had a Tech Auto Warranty, which reminds me of a letter I got in the mail yesterday which was highly personal. In fact, the, the, the envelope read like this, important and confidential letter. Whoa. I mean, I thought this was a big deal. Amy left it on the counter. I thought maybe I was in trouble with the IRS, or uh, I didn't know. Maybe I had a speeding ticket coming through Burleson. I didn't know it was important and confidential. And so my wife didn't even open it. Normally she goes through all my mail, but it said confidential on there, so she didn't even open it. I mean, it's that big of a deal. I opened the envelope. Guess what? It was a warranty offer for a pickup that I owned two pickups ago. (laughs) Important and confidential. And yet I think one of the reasons we do a poorer job at communicating these days is because we're oversaturated with communication. Uh, We watch TV and there are so many sponsors reaching out to us and trying to get just a little bit of a mind share. In other words, they're trying to own that space in your mind. So if you think tennis shoes, what's the one you think of? Chances are Nike's done a good job at advertising. If you think kids shows, what do you think of? Chances are you think of Disney. They've done a fantastic job advertising They want that space in your mind, and yet every day we delete spams, and every day we get text messages, and we have to unsubscribe to them. And it's almost like we're so overindated with phone calls that we don't want to get, and emails that we don't want to get, that we just so readily hit the ignore button. And yet I'm concerned that our reaction in everyday life has somehow been extended to a communication with God as He... As I have to believe that God is still in the calling business. And yet I think we're just better at ignoring it than we've ever been before. This evening I want to talk to you about three important factors about God's calling. And the sermon title is This When God Calls, Will You Answer? Let's look tonight. We'll see, first of all, the need for ministers. The need for ministers. 1 Samuel is a very transitional book, quite the same way that Acts is a transitional book in the New Testament as we're going out of the ministry of Jesus into the, uh, the establishment and the functioning of the church in the book of Acts. And so we learn many things about the New Testament plan as God works and empowers His church. And so Acts is a very transitional book in the New Testament. Well, first Samuel is quite transitional in the sense that we've just come out of the time of judges, where God led his people through men and women, Deborah and Samson and other judges like this who led or were supposed to lead the nation of Israel militarily, certainly, but also spiritually, and God had ordained that and established that. The book of Judges is full of great men and women who led Israel and for a short time Israel would course correct under the leadership of these judges and and yet they would get sidetracked and backslide a little bit and God would have to raise up another judge. And, And now we're coming out of that period of time into a time where God is about to establish a monarchy amongst his people. I I personally believe it was never really God's desire that they would ever be a monarchy. I think uh, God wanted to be their king and he didn't want there ever to be a King David or a King Saul or King Solomon. Because guess what? All of those men were flawed. And that's why God didn't want it. But God wasn't flawed. And he said, I will be a king to you. I will be a God unto you. And yet the people cried, yet the more. Let us be like all the other nations. We want a king. Too many Christians these days, I think, are trying to really cry the same cry. Let us like, be like everybody else, God. But, but God doesn't want us to be like everybody else. We are a peculiar people. We are distinctively different. We are set from the foundation of the world to be odd. And many of you are doing a good job at that one. <laughs> but I don't think God's desire was ever that His people would be a kingdom, although it was certainly within His plan, I don't believe it was in His perfect will that they would ever be. However, God is now transitioning from this time of judges into this time with kings. And it's right in the middle of those two times where we pick up our story as God now is ordaining and calling the young child Samuel to his role, which he will one day carry out. Many of you will recall that it was Samuel that anointed King Saul. It was Samuel that grieved over Saul's failures and yet God said, Hey, why are, you, why are you grieving over Saul? I've already picked my next king out. And he's over there in the, in, the, in the field shepherding some sheep. So go over there. He's one of the eight sons of Jesse. You probably won't suspect him because he's very unappealing to the eye. But I don't look like man looks. I look on the heart and David is a man after mine own heart. And it was Samuel who would eventually anoint both of these men. It's this time that we pick our story up. And this time in Israel's history is awful. Spiritually uh, speaking, they are terrible. In fact, the very last verse of the book of Judges, the Bible says, And every man did that which was right in his own eyes. That's where we leave off. And now we're introduced to this man, Eli. We're introduced to a lady named Hannah who's praying for a son, you have to assume that the, the time period that we're in, everybody just did not care about what God wanted for the nation of Israel. They were content living their own way. Amen. And yet God calls a man. And guess what? It may not be what we would plan, but God's plan has always been to work through a man. Amen. Flawed men, absolutely. Every one of them. Abraham, Moses, John the Baptist, all of them. The only one without flaw was Jesus himself. But God's plan has always been to work through men. And yet this was a very bad time in Israel's history. But you know what the Bible tells us? That as time goes on, men shall wax worse and worse. So as bad of a time as this may be in Israel's history, and I think it was a very, very bad time, I think I can confidently say this morning, or this evening, man, I got mixed up. I used to preach on mornings. I'm not doing that. I can confidently say this evening that this time in the world history, this time in American history is about as bad as we've ever been. And yet God's plan is to still work through men. Godly men, spiritual men. And I just have a hard time thinking, reconciling in my mind how as time goes on and men wax worse and worse and worse, God is calling fewer and fewer and fewer. Because that's the results. Right now in church church culture... I I personally uh, sit on the advisory board of of the college that I went to and I can tell you in conversations with our president, he is greatly concerned at the lack of called young men into the ministry. I can tell you it's not just him as I've sat at the, at the dinner table with other college presidents and they sit there and say they're just drying up. Men aren't being called anymore. And I have a hard time thinking as God in heaven looks down on earth and he sees that times and men are waxing worse and worse and worse, that God's ultimate plan is that he would call fewer and fewer and fewer men to serve him. I can't imagine that it is God's will that more people are going into STEM fields than they are to spiritual fields. God's plan has always been to work through men. No matter how bad the times may be, and yet there has always been and there will always be a great need for ministers of the gospel. Several reasons for that in our passage this evening. Number one, because of the age of those before us. Eli is a man who we really don't know that much about. We know that he is a priest there at the tabernacle in Shiloh. We don't know a great deal about him other than that. We know at least by the way the passage seems to read that he was—he tried to be and was at a time a spiritual man. But now as he ages, uh, maybe he's not as committed as he once was. Chapter 4 tells us that Eli at this time is 98 years old. 98 years old. And you can read for yourself, but the Bible says that his eyes are getting worse and worse, so he's not able to see like he once did. And I can't help but draw the comparison from Eli to men in our very own church whose bodies are beginning to fail them, and yet their spirit is just as strong as it's ever been. Their walk with God is just as strong as it's ever been. Their desire to serve God is greater than it's ever been. And yet their body limits them from actually carrying out the desires that they have to serve God. I can imagine Eli frustrated, but hes it's difficult to get out of his chair. The Bible actually tells us he's a very large man and he's an old man. I can't imagine how that must have limited him in the service of the tabernacle. And yet I can't help but realize in our very own church... There have been men that have carried the baton for years and years and years. And every time somebody comes into our church and says, man, Brother Andrew, what a beautiful building. I say, praise the Lord. But in the back of my mind, I think of all the great men that God used to establish this place here. Because God's plan has always been to work through men. So God receives the glory, but men were the ones that He chose to work through. Men that gave of their time and gave of their talent, men that gave of their very own treasure, men taking out of their 401k and giving offerings supremely generous to this church, men who gave up of their careers for a given time to come in this church and build it hand by, uh, by hand, uh, sheetrock by sheetrock, tile by tile. I can't help but think of the great men that have gone before us who have done a fantastic job at carrying the baton, but the time has come where their age has began to limit them. Amen. Some of them, their bodies have failed them and some of them, their minds have failed them. But the reality is their age is limited, their ability to serve yeah. God. Amen. And yet it is at this moment, God calls a young man yes. to step up, yes. to carry on the cause of Christ and in a church culture and climate that is so concerned with changing everything. The Bible doesn't tell us to change. The Bible instructs young men to continue for the sake of the gospel. The things which thou hast seen and heard and and seen in me do, teach other men that they may be able to teach others also. You see, we ought to continue for the cause of Christ, not to change everything. What's worked for years will continue to work. It's never been about the music program. It's never been about the evangelism or the track design. It's always been about the message of the gospel changing lives. It's always been that. And so there's no need to change it. It's time for younger men to step up into the place of some of these older men. This morning as dad spoke, he spoke how he's not going to retire, how he's never going to quit, and I praise God for that attitude. It's very similar to how Joshua and Caleb said, Oh, there remaineth much more ground to, 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 uh, uh, to, get, to gain. He looks at that mountain and he says, The mountain 40 years prior that he wanted, he said, uh, Hey, everybody, I want that mountain, the one that's intimidating to all these young men. I, I want that mountain. So I'm thankful for the pioneering spirit of some of the older men in our church but I'm just telling you their body and their mind are beginning to limit them and it is about time some of us younger men stepped in their place and carried the baton. God needs young men to serve him just as much as he needs older men. And so at this time many Bible commentators believe that Samuel was only about 6 to 10 years old that God reveals himself to him. 6 to 10 years old. Say, Brother Andrew, there's no way a six-year-old could get saved. I think that a six-year-old could get saved, and I think a six-year-old could get called to preach. My my friend, the Bible, the Apostle Paul tells Timothy, let no man despise thee because of thy youth, but be in, in sample. You lead them in their faith and in their charity for each other. You take the baton and you carry forward for the gospel. We need ministers more now than we ever have as times grow worse and worse. We need men, spiritual men and godly men, men that will lead their families. We need them more now than we've ever needed them. And yet men begin to prioritize things just frankly do not matter. Things that are so temporary. Things that will not matter at all for the cause of eternity. That's what our men are prioritizing these days. As long as their kid knows how to hit a baseball or properly throw a pitch, that's enough for us. What a joke. Times aren't increasing worse and worse because uh, uh, America's stopping to produce good baseball players. Times are increasing worse and worse because there is no spiritual standard of men in our country and in our churches. See, these, this man... Uh, Eli, his age is beginning to fail him. And God calls Samuel because there was a need for ministers. Not only because of the age of those that are before us, but the apostasy of those that are now here. see, it wasn't like there weren't other ministers at this time. Uh, Many of you will know Hophni and Phinehas. uh, They're the sons of Eli. In fact, if you'll read chapter 2, the Bible said that they were so wicked... That they were uh, 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 lying with the women that would come to the tabernacle. They were uh, uh, they were trying to somewhat uh, steal meat and resell it. To, uh, people that would bring their meat to sacrifice and they would take meat that didn't belong to them and then they would they would sell it for personal gain. And there were some crooked ministers in this day. And and sadly, the Bible says because of these two ministers, people abhorred the offering of the Lord. People. Began to get the perception that every minister was like that. And so they wanted nothing to do with church. And in our day and age we have preachers that are apostate. Apostate means completely abandoning their actual religion. We have men that are, well it's just every week you, you turn on the news and you see another man that's a pervert. It's every week you see another uh, preacher that failed because he was embezzling money from his people and from his church. You hear of trials and interviews where people are interviewing pastors who supposedly are good and spiritual men and yet they're leaving in their limousines and they're uh, walking around in their Louis Vuitton suits and and you look at them and you say, how is that really a minister of the gospel? And yet that's people's perception of preachers nowadays is, is men that are flawed, men that are hypocrites and men that sit there and tell you what to do and don't do it themselves. Samuel lived in an apostate climate where men said one thing and did another. And the reason that ministers are needed is because God needs men who will actually live the life He's called His ministers to live. Amen. Men that realize they're not perfect, but every single day wake up to strive to be. Yes. Men that will actually care for the flock instead of just take advantage of them because of their billfolds. Men that will treat women with respect and be kind to children, and and not in a creepy way, but because there's a man who can actually love children because Jesus loved children. I'm talking about that's why ministers are needed. It's because there are so few in our world today who are actually preaching the truth and actually living a life that is real and and sincere and authentic. We need ministers because there are so many fake ones. And the world views us as jokes. The other day, it was funny, I may have mentioned this to you before, but on Monday, I get half price at uh, Chick-fil-A. It's called the Holy Cow card. Uh, They sent it to me because I'm a preacher. And they sent me and preacher, both one, where uh, we both get to go in there and we can buy half price Chick-fil-A on Mondays for our staff or for our families, whatever the case. And it's really awesome to be able to go into Chick-fil-A, get your meal and, uh, and, 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 you know, you might buy for four or five people, and like, that would be $20. You know, Chick-fil-A is normally like $20 for one. It's a really cool deal. We take advantage of it pretty regularly. And yet, the other day, I was driving through the drive-thru, and I, pat, you know, I, I, I flashed my card to the lady. And uh, I usually will give my order, and I'll say, here's my, I have this. And the other day, she didn't even look up to see what it was. She just automatically took off 50%. And I thought to myself, well, how... How in the world did she know? How did she know I wasn't offering a coupon or 10% off or something? And I asked her, I said, Do you see many of these? She said, Oh, we see them all day long. Starting at breakfast, we see them all day long. And I thought to myself, and I actually said to the lady, I was like, That's really surprising because I really didn't know there were that many preachers in our community. I mean, think about it. There's a handful of churches, but I don't, how many preachers are there? You know what there are? There's not a lot of preachers. There's a lot of pretenders. There's a lot of people that will take advantage of a 50% discount. And and to some degree, I realize it's a very generous thing that Chick-fil-A does, but to some degree, I got a little offended because I've given my life to this. And I can't imagine that there's just some part-time, went to ministers www.ministers.com and got a holy cow card, and yet they work as a bank uh, accountant. I just, it aggravated me because if we had as many ministers as flash that card, Burleson might actually be a spiritual place. And yet we need ministers because we are living in an apostate day where the men of God are not are barely men. They're not men, at all, men of God at all. Amen. You see, God called Samuel because of the age of Eli, because of the apostasy of Eli's sons, but thirdly, because of the apathy of those around Eli, or those around Samuel. Uh, if you read chapter 2, you'll find that Eli was a man who, I believe, tried to live a spiritual life, but he knew fully well that his sons were not. I mean, he was just, he, I think he and himself tried to live the right way, but he had no desire to actually confront the sin of his sons. In fact, when he does speak to them about it, it's almost like, and I realize I'm kind of paraphrasing here, but it's almost like he kind of puts his arm around him and says, come on guys, you know, this isn't good. But yet, the priest, I mean, the man of God, won't stand up to his own sons and say, hey boys, what you're doing is flat out wrong and you need to quit it right now. I mean, he just never stood up and took a stance against sin like he should have. Because of that, God judges Eli. He removes his family from the future of holding that priestly role. He quit. he says, uh, there will no longer be a man in your house. In other words, he was going to... Uh, end or sever Eli's future lineage because, they, because of this, he would not confront the sin of his sons. And yet I think about our day and age that we live in as preachers, there, there are seemingly uh, churches on every corner. I, I'm just, I can't help but think of how many churches there are and how few speak against sin like they should. And the Bible tells us this would happen. In the latter days, men would wax worse and worse, but the Bible also tells us that they will heap to themselves teachers. It's the fact that men don't want to come to church is false. I mean, men want, to, want, want teachers. Every man wants a teacher. I, I personally believe that God uh, put that in us, that desire to be led by Him. And so men seek out teachers, but these men would seek out teachers because they had itching ears. In other words, they would want men that would tell them what they wanted to hear. They, they couldn't stand the truth, and so they wanted what made them comfortable. Instead of being edified, they just wanted entertainment. Instead of wanting preaching, they just wanted a bit of a play. You see, that's what our day and age is. You, you turn on most of these mega churches, you'll find men up there that are telling entertaining stories, not men up there that are speaking what truth is. And, and they'll say, you know, this is good for you. And, and this is what will lead to a, a bountiful and a happy life. But, but God says, no, 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 no. If you love me, keep my commandments. And that's a bit more harsh of a truth to deliver. And yet men in our day and age are trying to tell everybody how they can, you know, reap this great reward if they'll just give themselves to the Lord and if they'll buy this great hanky from me. And it seems like in our day and age there's a complete absence of men that will stand against sin. In fact, it was rather unique. One of the visitors on friend day came back a second time and they said the reason we like coming here is because I didn't know there was a church that preached like this. I didn't know that in our community this church existed. We've been looking for it. You see, it is upon the man of God not to preach what he wants to preach, but to preach what God wants him to preach. And sometimes the message that God gives him is not one of peace and roses. In fact, the Bible says, I believe it's in Ezekiel or in Jeremiah, he says someone will say, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. That's the style of teaching and preaching that we have today, people that just kind of entertain and get you through the 15-minute sermon so you can be entertained some more. There's a great apathy for spiritual truth in our day and age. And I just wonder what happened to the men that will stand against something. I mean, men that can look at something that is clearly unbiblical clearly ungodly and clearly even against nature itself and and just call a spade a spade and say, you know what, that is an abomination. And yet that's completely absent in modern day Christendom. There's a great apathy for spiritual truth and and that's why we need ministers. Because as times wax worse and worse, we need godly, spiritual, bold, courageous, faithful men worse and worse than we've ever needed them before. We need ministers. Secondly, I want you to see uh, this evening in the passage, not only the need for ministers, I want you to see the place for ministers. The place of ministers. Notice with me, number one, the station. Where does all this go down? Where's it at? Well, it's at the tabernacle. In fact, if you'll recall the story... Of uh, of Samuel is one uh, is really actually precious. In fact, when we have a baby dedication, it's from this passage that preacher reads. As Hannah desires that God would give them a child, and 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 so she prays and prays and prays. She even goes to this same tabernacle, and Eli sees her lips moving and and hears the words at her mouth, and he supposes her to be drunk, and and yet she says, "Oh, I'm not drunk. I'm just praying that God would give me the petition of my heart that He would give me a son," and so. God gives her a son. And the promise that Hannah made was that if God would give her a son, she would give him back to God. So God gives her Samuel. And Samuel is lent unto the Lord. In fact, the Bible tells us that every year Hannah would get to visit him. And she would take him this little coat that she had made him. I think that speaks a great deal about the love of a mother. She made him a little coat and every year it was her It was her trip of the year. I mean, it was her excitement to be able to take this beautiful little coat that she had handmade to her son. Got to see him once a year. Why? Because he was at the tabernacle serving God. You see, this is the station of ministers. It would be at the house of God. Ministers aren't called on the ball field. Ministers aren't called at the rec center. Ministers aren't called at school. You know where ministers are called? at God's house. And yet what's alarming to me is that even though we all know that to be true, we find parents emphasizing it less and less to their children. If one thing seems to interfere with church and there's a, a bit of a conflict on the schedule, how easily we choose the other thing than actually coming to church. See, God calls ministers at church. That's their station. This evening, I'm preaching to, I don't know, maybe 15, 20 young men under the age of 12. Listen to me. If God's calling you, don't, don't hesitate. Amen. Don't delay the call of God on your life. I've spoken to too many men who knew they were called at 12 and didn't answer that call until they were in their 30s. And they, they look back over the course of their life and say, what if I would have answered earlier? What if I would have just obeyed God earlier? Parents, there's no greater thing that you could do for your children than have them here in this service tonight. And you say, well, it's not that big a deal. They're just sitting here coloring. You're right. They very well may be coloring. But listen to me. If you're under 12 this evening, God wants to use you. And God has a plan for you. And there's just a chance this evening that God may be speaking to some 8-year-old and 9-year-old and 10-year-old's heart in this room. Because I know without a shadow of a doubt, He was tugging on my heart at that age. I know without a shadow of a doubt I've spoken to other men who he was tugging on their heart at that age. Listen to me, 8-year-old, 9-year-old, 10-year-old. Listen to me, God can use you as a minister of the gospel. There's teenagers in this room, and I can't help but think of how God wants to use teenagers to minister to their generation. You see, there's clearly a generation gap between those that are before me and those that are after me. I'm kind of like the aborted child right there in the middle. I don't belong to the millennials and I'm not a Gen Xer. I mean, I just, I don't have one that I identify with. I'm terrible on social media and I, I enjoy the personality of an actual phone call, which this generation gets nothing about. I don't know how to play video games that require both fingers on the joysticks. I don't get it. I only can do the left one and I have to hit A and B with my right one. So I may not always identify with your generation, but that's why God needs you. Is because you'll speak to your generation and you'll face the same temptations your generation did. Listen to me, teenagers. This man right here knows nothing of how easily accessible things are on his cell phone. I have to teach him how to open his emails. Watch it. And you say that that's ridiculous. Listen to me. There is coming up a generation. That there is a whole uh, generation of men of God who they don't know the, the battles and the temptations that you face. And that's why we need ministers. We need ministers more now than we've ever needed them. I look at this passage and I just see that God is calling Samuel in God's house. And that's where God calls men is in his house. I want you to see not only their station, but I want you to see secondly their service. Verse number 1 opens up and the Bible tells us that Samuel is found ministering unto the Lord. That's interesting because in verse number 7 the Bible tells us he doesn't actually yet know the Lord. And the word of Lord had not yet appeared to him and yet he's found ministering to the Lord in verse number 1. Also interesting to note... Two other times in the previous chapters, the same thing is said about Samuel. He is found ministering unto the Lord. There Samuel is serving, doing the very best that he can. He's probably working a bus route, the daily tabernacle bus route, if they have one. He's he's probably in there just washing toilets or, or mopping floors. We don't know exactly what he did because he wasn't a priest, so there were certain roles that he couldn't carry out, but he was just there and he was just serving. Did you know that's how ministers are raised up? Ministers are raised up as servants. Can you imagine probably the most profound lesson that Christ ever taught while he was on this earth? He's looking around at all these men sitting around this dinner table. He's just had supper with them. And he takes a towel and he wraps it around himself. And he gets on his knees and begins to wash the stinky, nasty feet of his disciples. Peter, realizing who it was that washed his own feet, looked at him and said, Lord, you can't wash my feet. I won't let you. The Lord reprimanded him and said, Peter, if you don't let me wash your feet, you have no part with me. Peter didn't understand what Jesus was doing. He was teaching the grandest lesson that any of these leaders in the future church would know. Amen. That, that great ministers of the gospel are servants Amen. first. In fact, Jesus said, he who is greatest among you will be servant of all. Yeah. There was always this striving, this internal strife amongst these disciples. Who is going to be greatest? Who would sit on the right hand of Jesus at the throne of God? And Jesus says, You know who, who's going to be the greatest? He who is least. Yes, and yet that's where we find Samuel. Just serving, just doing his very best. Parents, get your kids involved in something. Here at the church... Get them involved here, whether it's a small task. You may not believe this, but my first job I ever had at the church was getting a glass of water to sit on the table for my dad. He had a little hanky there, and I'd get a glass of water. I'd take it to the water fountain every service before church, and I'd fill it, and I would take it right there. I'll be honest with you. I was not at that point in time a faithful man, so I did it about every third service, but that was my first job. Later on, when I was a little less responsible, I got put in charge of cleaning the baptistry. Me and my buddy came up and we got in our swimsuits. Now, don't put a 12-year-old in charge of cleaning the baptistry. What's worse is don't put a 12-year-old in charge of cleaning the baptistry during choir practice. Because many of you remember at the old building, the choir loft set right underneath the baptistry. And so I'm there at the church, and I'm scrubbing, and me and my buddy are, Marco Polo! And the the church choir is, all to Jesus! And then they're getting dripped on from the water spilling over the glass. You say, that's ridiculous. You're absolutely right. But from the time that I was knee-high to a grasshopper, I was in church serving. It is no coincidence that I am standing where I am today, Men are directed. Men are guided into the place that they are. My parents, I owe the greatest debt of gratitude to them that anybody could ever owe because they kept me in the house of God. And when basketball teams came calling and said, Hey, can Andrew play select ball? They said, No. Hey, when, when, when Cutting Horses came around and every show seemed to be on Sunday, they said, Hey, can Andrew come show on Sunday? They said, No. You say, that's not that big a deal. It is no accident that I am standing here. Is because two godly parents prioritize putting me in the place where God still calls His men. It is in the church of God. Amen. Where are you intentionally putting your children? We sign them up for every activity under the sun and yet we don't have them actively engaged in the service of the Lord. What I find is I see that there's a calling of men because there is a great need for ministers. I see that there is a place for ministers. It's in the place of God. is in the house of God. It's this into service to God. And I want you to see thirdly the call of ministers. You can't read this passage without noticing that Eli doesn't quite fully understand that God might be speaking to Samuel. Three different times God speaks to Samuel and says, Hey Samuel. And Samuel says, here I am. Here am I. And he goes to Eli and he says, hey, Eli, what can I do for you? You called me probably four o'clock in the morning. What can I do for you? Eli says, I didn't call you. It's on the third time that Eli realizes that it very well might be God. And so he instructs the the young man to respond with what he says in verse number 10, which is, speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. And yet God calls Samuel here. I want to say two quick things as as we get done tonight. Number one, I want you to notice the repetition of the call. It kept happening. Three times in the same evening, God spoke to Samuel. Didn't get it the first time? Okay. Didn't get it the second time? Okay. God kept pursuing Samuel. There are people in this room that I know have probably felt God moving in their life in this regard. Maybe God has called them. I want you to understand something that if God has truly called you, you will not be able to ignore it. If God's called you, you may be like Jonah and run as far the opposite direction as you can. But rest assured, God has prepared a great fish for you just like he did for Jonah. Jeremiah said, I tried to shut up the words of the Lord in my mouth, but it was like a great fire in my belly. I I had to speak what he told me to say. Peter, uh, instructed by the Sanhedrin Council, you cannot teach in the name of Jesus anymore. Peter says, We cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Listen to me, man of God. If you're in this room this morning or this evening and you have felt God tugging on your heart, I'm telling you, you will never be able to ignore it to the point where it goes away. God will constantly, always be speaking to you about this. And every time it's mentioned in a message, and every time a sermon is brought up about God's call or God's will, there you'll have to retreat into your hermit shell because God does not repent upon His callings. The Bible says that he separated Jeremiah and ordained him from his mother's womb to be a prophet for him. The Bible tells us that in Galatians, the apostle Paul, the great persecutor of the church, was separated into the ministry wherewith God had called him. From the very beginning, God knew that he would one day preach for him. It does not surprise God that you may ignore his call. But listen to me, it does not change God's call. It will keep happening. It will keep happening. The bad thing is God speaks to His men in several different ways throughout the Bible. He speaks to Gideon through a fleece. He speaks to Moses through a burning bush. He speaks to Jonah through a whale. He speaks to to Balaam through a donkey. The sad thing is when God's created elements... Like these things, like a fleece, or like a whale, or like a donkey, are more spiritual than the men that he is trying to call. The fact that a donkey ever has to get our attention and say, hey, you know what you should be doing, is a sad indictment upon the faith that we actually have in God. Amen. God will not relent. God does not repent. God will persevere in his calling on your life. So let me say this. Surrender. You say, Brother Andrew, I'm, I'm a grown man. I'm in my 40s. I, I've worked for this career I had. Did you know that not a single one of the disciples was a teenager? Amen. Did you know that not a single one of them went to youth camp and got called to follow Jesus? Yes. They were all men. They all had careers. Levi sitting at the receipt of custom. He had worked for that position. Peter had his own fishing businesses. His brothers served with him there in that business. It was a family ordeal for them to just drop everything and follow God. Well, that was sacrificing everything. Well, it might be worth sacrificing something for the one that sacrificed everything for us. The repetition of the call, it kept happening and it kept happening. And this evening I hope, and I, my prayer has been this, that God would speak to a heart tonight. I just personally believe you get what you emphasize. And the sad indictment upon me as pastor of this church is there has been absolutely no surrenders to the ministry in years and years and years. And I just look at that and say, this very well might be my fault. Because as I come up here, I preach about all sorts of things, that I never preach about God calling men into the ministry. I never emphasized this from the platform, and I tell you, I'm changing it tonight. Because as times wax worse and worse, the need for spiritual men and spiritual leaders and men that will step up into their place that God wants them to step up is greater now than it's ever been before. There's a great need for ministers, and the repetition of the call of God is persistent. I want you to see, secondly, the response of Samuel. The response, well, so verse number nine, Eli suggests to him that he would go and lie down. And if the Lord would speak to him again, he would say, "Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth." This young child, Samuel, goes back to his bedroom, lays down. can't imagine the pressure that he might have felt at this time, as he knows that God of the universe, the God of Israel, the God that's not even speaking to Eli that god is trying to get through to him now he lays down you ever had one of those sleepless nights i just imagine this was one of those for samuel he lays down anticipating those words samuel samuel finally the words come the third time it's unique that's the only time god calls his name twice it's actually quite reminiscent of how god said saul saul Why persecutest thou me? God calls Samuel there, and Samuel obeys the leader, uh, obeys Eli, and he says, Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. He responds appropriately. By the way, you have a choice tonight to respond appropriately or not. You can ignore it like you've always done. You can say, well, I don't want that for my children. I want them to go to a a successful career. You know what's surprising to me? It's how a generation ago, our parents taught us the value of a dollar. Now this generation is teaching the virtue of a dollar. As if there is some grand accomplishment in getting a bunch of them. Listen to me. There is no greater calling in this life than to serve God with everything that you are. And that God of the universe may tonight be speaking to you. And like he spoke to Samuel, he says, Hey, Samuel, Samuel, my calling is to you. It's personal. Tonight he very well may be speaking to your heart and saying, Hey, you know I want you. Could there be anything greater than knowing that God of the universe called you into his ministry? The apostle Paul says, And I thank God who counted me faithful having put me into the ministry. The Apostle Paul didn't regret it even as he's looking at the guillotine that would eventually cut his head off or or hang from the gallows. He's looking out there and he's saying, I don't regret a single thing. I have fought a good fight. I have kept the faith. I have finished my course. Henceforth there is a crown of righteousness laid up for me. You see, the Apostle Paul didn't regret it. And I believe with all my heart no minister of the gospel will ever regret surrendering their life To live for God. The response by Samuel is appropriate. It's exactly what he needed to say. Here am I. Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. It was at Fall Festival a while back. Many of you came to it, but it was earlier in that day. I had received, uh, or me and Brother Mark Smith were there, and he was, (coughs) excuse me, he was setting up his game. And, uh, man, I wish I had one of these young men to get me water tonight. That would be fantastic. Um, But he was setting up his game. And I was hooked up to the Wi-Fi there in the gymnasium. And uh, I got a call. And the call came across my screen. And it had the numbers there. It wasn't a 1-800 number. But it had a normal number. And it said San Antonio, Texas. And I answered it. I said, hello. And this man came on the other end of the line. He said, hi, my name is so-and-so. I'm calling from the... Fallen uh, officers uh, support fund and we are trying to collect money to care for the families of those officers that have fallen in the line of duty and I get a lot of sales calls and most of them I kind of just you know I'm not interested man I get more auto warranty phone calls than any person in the world it's just ridiculous normally I'm like you know not interested just take me off my call list but before I even get through that they hang up on me you know but this one I felt You know, this isn't the first time I've received this call. And the difficult thing for me is, this is a cause that I deem worthy of my time. I mean, certainly I would love to support these families. I mean, it's just sad. But the problem is, I don't know if it's a legitimate thing. Just some random number calling me, not even from my local jurisdiction, from San Antonio. And uh, I said, you know what? I'm not interested. I appreciate your time. And uh, he just kept talking. You know, and I've received this call about three or four times and I always feel bad having to shoot him down. And then I I just, I started to ask him questions about what he was doing. You know what I realized for the first time in about five calls, this was a recording. I thought this whole time that this man was genuinely calling me, no, it's just recording. Would you be interested in supporting? No, depending on your response. I guess he's directed as to what his response should be. If I'd have known that, I'd have hung up on him a long time ago, but I thought he was actually somebody that cared about our officers. No, it's just a voice tape calling me. I mean, really disappointing. So I uh, probably, I looked at my phone, and, you know, Brother Mark was there. I was like, you know what? I've been, I've been trying to be respectful to this voicemail this whole time, and Mark's laughing at me, you know. He's cracking up, thinking I'm kind of an idiot. I get it, I felt that way. And if I remember correctly... I'm not sure if it was Mark or somebody later that day that I might have been telling the story to. They said, why do you, ju- why do you even answer it? And I said, well, given my role at the church, you know, I don't have everybody's number in my cell phone. Uh, I have probably a good portion of your numbers in my cell phone, but most of the ladies, I don't have your number. And that's for a reason, by the way. Um, but, but even some of the men, I don't, I don't have your number. So I feel indebted to our church to answer every phone call I get. Whether or not it's a bunch of, you know, salesmen, that, I'll deal with that. But I never want the day to come where I miss the phone call or ignore the phone call of someone on the other end of the line saying, Br- Brother Andrew, we're down in San Antonio and my, my, my uncle's passed away. I never want to miss that call, so I answer every single call I get. I feel indebted to, I feel obligated to answer those calls because of my role. But you know what? If God's calling this evening, we ought to feel indebted to answer it. The ignore button ought not be an option. The calls of God, the need for ministers, the the times waxing worse and worse and worse. There has never been a time where God looks at us and we can read within the words of Jesus as he says, Pray ye therefore that the Lord of the harvest, for the laborers are few. I I, I read that and I say, boy, Lord, I agree with you. It's like every day there's fewer and fewer ministers. More and more churches have vacant pastorate roles. More and more churches shut down every single day. And it's not because, oh, that city's taken care of. It's because people stopped hearing the message of the ministers in their community. It's because those ministers had to go get actual jobs because their church couldn't support them anymore. It's just a sad time in this world, in this country, and it is not the time for us to be sending our children to be doctors and lawyers and, and encouraging them to be mechanics and all these things if God has put a calling on their life. You say, Brother Andrew, not everybody can be a preacher. I get it. I'm thankful that's job security for me. But you understand, God still calls. And our church has a very rich heritage of men that have been called and have moved on to pastoring and youth pastoring and missionaries. And my great fear is that one day we're going to look back ten years from now and look at a dearth of years where God called no one. Well, maybe God was calling, but we sent no one. I think it's a direct reflection that too many times God's called and we've hit the ignore button. Maybe God tonight is speaking to your heart. Don't ignore the calling of God on your life. Surrender and follow after God with all your heart. There is no happier life to live than that one.